And so let's get to, to, to going in the Builder series. It's going to be a four-week series about building the kingdom of God. I'm just very, very excited about this. Uh, we're going to deal with four different builders from the Old Testament. Uh, but how many of you know that we always might start in the Old Testament, but we end up in the New Testament? As a matter of fact, if you read in your, one of your Bible this morning, you read that there was a covenant in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Uh, but then when Jesus came, the Old Covenant was done away with, and there was a brand new covenant. And uh, so we're in the new covenant, and, uh, and we're building the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know that, but what we're doing right now is building the kingdom of God. And, and everybody builds, all of you, every one of you in this room, you are builders. You're building something. I mean, we're either building a marriage or a family. We might be building a business. Uh, and then some people build real smart, you know, according to the blueprints of the Word of God. And then some people kind of just throwing everything together, just kind of... I really don't have a game plan. And how many of you know that when you build that way, usually it's not square, it's kind of leaning. You know, every time I try to build something with wood, I'm astonished how it never is square. <laughs> and I mean, I try hard. I got all the tools, but I need a little bit of know-how. And it's like crooked. It's like I, I measured it four times. And uh, the fifth time was almost right. And then I just say, oh, well, that's good enough. How many of you ever said that? Oh, well, that's good enough. You know, we're not building kitchen cabinets, you know. And, and then some people building this church sometimes, some guys will say, oh, that's good enough for church work. And I come back and say, no, it's not good enough for church work. It's uh, got to be right. So we all build things. And I wanted to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, where the apostle Paul says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. And what, what, what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us here is that we're all building we're all building on certain foundation, all building, all moving forward. But there's going to come a day where everything that we've built is going to be tested by fire. And a lot of things are going to be burned up, uh, but a lot of things are going to make it through. And, and some folks may, may be here and may say, you know what? I'm very, very excited that I can enter heaven burnt to a crispy critter. You know, if I can just get in, I'm going to be all burned up. It's going to be bad, but it's going to be good. And I'll just barely creep into the kingdom of God where other people are saying, you know what? Man, if we're going to build, let's build. If we're going to do it, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so Noah was the first guy that built anything. He was the first builder. And I want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Where it says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed that, uh, that all this corruption in the world, for everybody on the earth was corrupt. Everybody was corrupt. So God said to Noah, because Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. He said, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them off all out, every one of them out along with the earth. Build a large boat. Here's where he commissions him to build the ark from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. And then in the 17th verse, he says, look, 
I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. He built the boat just like God said, and then God sent some animals in. You know, it had to be built just right because it had to be able to save this family in the time of judgment. So there's a lot of videos I could show you about building and pick one out. Uh, it's kind of an old, an old video. Some of you weren't alive when it was made. Most of you weren't. But uh, I thought we might just take this time to show you a Walt Disney video that I think is apropos for what we're sharing today. And so go ahead and, and, and run that little one minute clip. I built my house of straw. I built my house of hay. I toot my flute. I don't give a hoot and play around all day. You don't have time to sing and dance. You've got work to do if you're going to realize. Now, I'm sure most of you know the end of this story. If you don't know the end of this story, I don't know where you have been your whole life, but two pigs lost their house, sticks and straw. But the, the pig who built his house with bricks, when the big bad wolf came, when the enemy came, he survived. Huh? And, and isn't it funny that the, the other two little pigs, where did they go when things got tough? They went to the place that was built on the proper foundation with the proper strength. And so, so I, I want to talk to you today about five mentalities of an ark builder. Five mentalities that I think we all need to embrace. Now, uh, I, I'm to a point now in ministry where I just believe that everybody in the church ought to get with the program. That's just, you know, I've been in, I've been in it long enough now, you know, uh, I, I, I just, uh, I'm just to the point where I say, you know what, let's all get on the bus together, huh? Let's all get building together. And so the first, the first attribute or the first mentality that we need to have as art builders and, and Noah had this was that judgment is real. Judgment is real folks. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's not might going to happen. It is going to happen. And Noah believed what God was saying was true. When God said, I'm going to kill everything, Noah believed him and Noah began to build. So if you really believe something, think about this. If you truly believe something, you're going to begin to act upon that. You're not just going to say, well, I believe that. It's sort of like, you know, uh, how it is. Uh, remember Y2K? 
Y2K, a lot of people believed in Y2K, and so uh, they acted upon it, you know, and it turned out that they wasn't so smart, you know, but at least they acted on what they believed, and like the, the Mayan calendar in 2012, where the earth was going to end, uh, some people uh, uh, acted on that. Of course, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, how do you act upon when the earth is all going to end? I mean, there's not enough beans <laughs> if the earth is going to end. You know what I'm saying? But at least people believe things and they act upon it. So if we believe that judgment is real, if we completely understand it, if we completely embrace that, that God is truly going to judge this world, then we need to act upon it. You know, Noah was 500 years old when he began to build the ark. And, and there, there are disputes about how long it takes. But let's just say that it took between 55 and 75 years to build the ark. And, and I was wondering, what was it that kept Noah focused on building the ark. What, what was it? What, how, how could you work so many years with no equipment, no forklifts, no cranes, no, no saws, uh, to build a boat that was going to house uh, all the animals and his family for all the time that they were going to be in the flood? What kept him doing that? What I think kept him doing that, that he was fully persuaded. There's a difference between knowing facts and being fully persuaded that something is going to take place. And Noah was fully, fully persuaded. And I believe we need to understand that judgment is coming. Now, now I know this, that because it hasn't come, because we're in such a quick society, quick thinking, because things haven't happened exactly like the Word of God says yet, and some people kind of fall asleep and say, oh, well, it'll never happen. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, it kind of settles this particular argument, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I'm wondering if you here today are fully persuaded that judgment is going to come and that there's nothing anybody can do about it. I mean, when the judgment is set, when God says it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. I think the problem that we're experiencing in the church is that a lot of people are not sure of their position in Christ, and so they, they not only fear judgment, but they want to stop judgment. Somehow or another, let's make this world better. But yet the Word of God says that the world was destroyed by water one time, and the next time it's coming by fire. I don't know about you, but I'm fully persuaded that this world, as we know it, will not exist forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is bringing it. So we have to be pull, fully persuaded that judgment is real. But now, now let me add this note to you that, that all through Scripture, it always teaches that mercy triumphs over judgment. So that means, and, and you see it in Noah, there was judgment, but the mercy of God on Noah's family triumphed over the judgment in the earth. And if you want to take a little bit deeper, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark. So if you want to get free of judgment, you must be in the ark. You must be in Christ. 
The second mentality that we need to have is that the ark is for rescue. The, the ark is for rescue. <clears throat> Noah, he, one thing about Noah, he realized why he was building the ark. He realized that I'm building this ark because God wants to save people and he wants to save creation. He never thought to build comfort into the ark. I mean, they got one up in Tennessee now. We probably need to go see it, but I guarantee you it's nothing like the original ark was. I mean, it might be as long and as high and as deep and these things, but my, the roughness of that environment must have been horrendous. I don't know about you, but, you know, nine months in a boat with a bunch of animals, I don't, you know, I don't think that there was a lot of comfort there. I'm not sure that it was. I believe that Noah built the ark for function rather than comfort. In other words, it's not a cruise ship. It was a rescue boat. And the church is not a cruise ship. It is a rescue boat. And I know that we, we look at this and we say, well, well, you know, what's going on? I mean, I like my church and I'm glad you like your church. I like my church. I've always liked my church. From the first day we walked in a church after we gave our hearts to God, I have loved church. It's been my favorite place to be. I tell you what, there was no place I'd rather be this morning than worshiping the king right there. Wasn't that great? By the way, can I just add a little side note there? And this is just me. I'm not saying this was a vision. I'm just saying that I could just see Jesus standing up worshiping. I, mean, I just saw him like, I mean, it's just me. Hey, I just, I just saw him. And look, he had a big smile on his face. And he was like, I mean, Zephaniah says he, he joys over you with singing. I mean, and I just see Jesus with this big smile on his face, just having a great time. And then after we begin to just worship him, he just sat down next to the father. And I mean, I could just see them having this conversation like this is really good. And then we gave him a standing ovation and he stood back up. I mean, just be with me in my folly as I love to worship the king. Amen? It's a rescue boat. Why does the church exist? Why? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why does the church exist? Well, I'm going to tell you what, the church exists not as a cruise ship because a cruise ship is a place of comfort. It's a place where I get everything I want. If you've ever been on a cruise, it's like, I want that. I'm going to eat buffet at 1 a.m. Right? Some of you laughing, you did that, didn't you? You got out your cabin, went and ate a steak at one o'clock in the morning, then you went and swim. Because it's a comfort ship. It's for my enjoyment. It's cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I paid for it. I deserve it. It's my vacation. It's my anniversary. I'm in it. This is it. And it better be good. And that's how a lot of people view church. It better be good. I hope pastor's on this morning to give me that, that little message to, and the music, man, I just hope they sing those songs I like. I didn't really like that first song. It didn't start off fast enough. It was kind of a little bit slow, you know, and, uh, saw pastor Jordan, he had on those funny little pants again. And, and, you know, I know what some of you are thinking, like, like that light, is it twirling or is it just me? That is so cool. I want more lights. That's what I want, you know? I mean, that's, that's our mentality a lot of us in church. 
because we, we look at it as a cruise ship, like somehow or another we, we, we're getting these little, you know, kudos. We're just like, I hear you, it's just so great, you know, come to, but it's not that. It's a rescue boat. And a rescue boat is stripped down. If you have a look at them, there's nothing comfortable about a, a boat that rescues people. But it's very, very functional because the main mission of the rescue boat is to save people who are drowning, folks. That, to be on mission means to be on Christ's mission, on the same mission that Jesus was on. We, we've got to understand that while we're going to get blessed and we're going to get encouraged when we're in church and we're going to have a good time and we're going to be, you know, challenged sometime, even corrected, but it's all going to be good. And when we leave, we're going to be better than when we came. But we've, we, we can't lose fact that, that, that the, the, the church is a ship, a rescue vessel that is actually saving people from hell. That's the truth. And if we lose that mission, we have no mission. We have no use except to be taken out of here. In the rescue boat, the things that you value are different than the things you value in a cruise ship. Heaven is that way. The things that are so precious on earth are just normal in heaven, ordinary. And vice versa, the things that are so precious in heaven many times are just so mundane on earth. We've got to be on mission. Because why did Jesus come? Let's, can you think about that? Why did Jesus? Did Jesus come to bless you? I, I, he didn't really come to bless us. He came to save us. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus, when he, when he heard them speaking, he told them, he said, healthy people, healthy people, you know what? They don't need, are you watching? Healthy people don't need a doctor. You know what they need? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. He said, what I've come to do, I've come to help the sick people. Sick people need a doctor. Sick people. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Jesus, I mean, he, he came out of the, basically the cruise ship of heaven because heaven's going to be good. And he came to this earth on a rescue mission to touch people, to help people. And, and the thing is, is most of you in this room right now, you are already in the rescue vessel. Some of you have already been deposited upon the shore. You're in a safe haven. You've got a warm blanket wrapped around you. You've got a cup of hot soup that you're sipping on. And you've got people all around you to make sure Everything is all right because you've been rescued. But there's a whole lot of other people who are screaming and dying still, their souls weighing in the balance. And this is what we're here for. We are a rescue boat. Now, you know, that's why at Northwood, we don't do a lot of frilly things. If it doesn't have a purpose of winning people to Christ, and showing the love of God in a, in a tangible way, then, you know, why should we spend all our precious time just petting on each other? 
Just, are y'all right? Are you okay? Are y'all right? I'll be blessed. Be blessed. Here's a word of knowledge. Here's a word of wisdom. Here's a, here, oh, y'all, i be blessed. I'm so blessed. It's a mess. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. You know, I'm doing better. How you doing? Better than I deserve. I'm just glad the Lord's showering me. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. The third mentality of an ark builder is that God wants to use me to save people. Now, here's where you really come in, because God wants to use you. He wants to use you to save people. Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus called out to them. He said, you know, and you've heard this, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. He was speaking to people who were fishermen. He said, you're fishing for fish, and that's good. You need to do that. You got to make a living. But I'm telling you that if you'll follow me, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. Now, if you follow Jesus, guess what he wants to teach you? He wants to teach you how to fish for people. Not just fish for your blessing. Come on now. Not just a, you know, not just a fish for your best life ever, your best life ever you're going to get. No, no. He wants to teach you to fish for people. Because that's what he's all about. Why does it get so quiet whenever we talk about doing something? In other words, pick up that life preserver and throw it out to that person who is drowning, going down for the third time. And if need be, jump in and swim out there and grab them and bring them to a safe place. Jesus wants to use you. That's right. He wants to use you, your growth, your progress in the kingdom of God, all your abilities as a Christian is all focused on being like Christ. And when we're like Christ, we're going to do what Christ does. Your health is to be a witness to others to show the redeeming power of God. Man, it's not just me to say, man, I, yeah, I've been delivered. I've been delivered. Look at me. I've been delivered, man. No, it's I've been delivered, and I want everybody to see that Jesus Christ is the reason that I am a changed individual. It's the glory goes to him. I mean, look, take Jesus out of me, and I am one mess. I mean, I'm a mess. And so, you know, your giftings, your skills, all these things I've been given to you to win people to Jesus and to help disciples. You know, if you've, got, if you've got ability to sing and ability to worship and ability to play instruments, you ought to be on the worship team. And I know that will cost you Thursday nights. I know that. But Jesus hung naked on a cross. Surely I can do that. If you love kids and you have ability to teach, then the children's ministry, you know, serving children. If you love people and you love to welcome people, you're on the first impressions team. You're, you're working. You're, you're, you're being used by God to touch people in any way, shape, or form you can. Some people will be in public ministry where they speak to people, but many people will be in private ministry. I was speaking to somebody last night, and they said, I'm on a job, and, but, but I'm on a different job. I'm like, on my job, but while I'm on my job, God's using me to pray for people and to love people and to help people. You see, that's the mentality that we have to have. Not, I'm going to work today, I can't stand it, it's Monday again. Yeah, in 15 minutes, I'm getting off. In 10 minutes, I'm going to get my break. But working for Jesus, everything you do, you do heartily unto the Lord. You, you see, we are 
God's plan to reach this generation, and he has no other plan. See, Northwood, we have a job to do, and God's got no one else to do it. There are things that you can do as an individual that no one else can do. There are people that you can touch that no one else can touch. Now, let me help you out because so many people get stuck on this. You can never save anybody and you can never change anybody. So, so don't, don't think, oh, my, I tried. No, no, no. Your job is not to change somebody, nor is your job to save anybody. You can't do that. It's impossible to do that. Only Jesus saves people. So I stopped that long time ago. You understand? The fourth mentality that we have to have is that God is already working. I I don't know if you know this, but the Holy Spirit is diligently working what's going on. While Noah was building the ark and finishing it up, God was bringing the animals Noah was building and God was bringing. And that's what happens when you work with God. It's a two-part thing. You're not all out by yourself there, but evidently God didn't want to do it all by himself, though he could. But he says, I want to use the church. I want to use you. I want to help you. So when we work, God works. And when we serve people and when we share with people and when we help people and we invite people, God is working with us together. As a matter of fact, when you share your story with someone, I want to explain how it works in the economy of the kingdom of God. When you share with someone who doesn't know the Lord, who's away from God, and you share with them the goodness of God in your life and your story about what God has done in your life, you don't have to tell them they're bad. You don't have to tell them they're going to hell. You don't have to tell them, you know, blah, 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 quit drinking that beer, quit smoking that dope, go, blah, 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 get, that is, that's, you, you share how good God is to you. And then the Holy Spirit takes that witness and begins to deal with them in their own life about their personal relationship with him. God does that with people. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar and you don't have to have some preaching ability or anything like that. If you can talk, if you can just tell a little story about what God has done, he will use it to help you. You see, God is working. When Jesus told his disciples, when he said, I'm going to be killed, Peter, in his normal style, jumps up and says, no, you're not, Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said something really strong. I mean, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you're only looking at things from the outlook, the aspect of human humanity. You're only looking at it temporal. You're only looking at it in the natural. And, and you're savoring those things of, of man. You're championing that, but you're not championing the big picture, the thing that God really is doing here. And so we have to have this big picture. We've got to see that God is working all over the world. Now, right now in the Middle East, there is horror going on in the Middle East. But now be encouraged because it's always been going on. 
You understand, they have been fighting themselves for many, many years. But it's really now right in our face with the media outlets. And I mean, we're, we're watching war real time and we're seeing all these atrocities. And some, some people are getting so worried and uptight and even wondering, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Well, let me, let me tell you, I'm getting ready to show you a video here in just a moment that's going to kind of let you know where God is in the Middle East, what is going on in that part of the world right now, because outwardly, when we just look at it in a natural sense, we see all these horror stories going on. But let's see what God is doing in the Middle East. Let's show that video. According to the United Nations, the Syrian and Iraqi conflicts have claimed the lives of over 250,000 people to date. An estimated 5.8 million people have been displaced or have sought refuge in neighboring countries. Most people fleeing have left with no more than the clothes on their backs and are severely traumatized, having suddenly lost their homes, possessions, livelihood and members of their families. ذكر <تصفيق> اختي عن جد ما كانت تصير الساعه 12 بتسمعي وقت اللي يقولوا لك اسمع غير القصف قصف قصف انا يحس حالي انه للصبح انا متوتره انه شيء كاني رح تيجي فوق القذيفه اقعد ما استرجينا ضليت اعصابي عندها شهر ونص بصراحه يعني انا كثير بخاف كثير فيني عقده ولهلا بعدني بخاف منها لانه عم شوف القتل والذبح قدام عيني في كثير احيانا بحط علبه الحب اشربها كلها من دون ما اهلي يحسوا يقول خلص يا ريتني موت بس كيف بدي موت حالي انا خويفه ما اقدر كيف بدي انتحر فشغلات بسيطه اقول يا رب انت اذي يعني اذيني وهو الرب ما بيأذينا انه اذيني سممني موت اجوا لعندي شخصيا طبعا انا كان تهمتي الاساسيه بس انه انا مسيحي تصور عندي اولادي زكايا فكان يجي يسالنا طيب نحن الله بيحبنا نحن بنحب الله ليش هيك صار فينا نحن؟ فكنت توقف محتار يعني انت شو بدك تجاوبه؟ نحن خسرنا مصارينا بس ما خسرنا كرامتنا. يس نحن خسرت كل مالي انا تقريبا مليون دولار. خسرتها كلها بس انا بس اجي لهون كثير صعب علي إنه أمد إيدي ولاطيني مئة دولار نحن مش هيك The greatest need of the refugees is to be loved and respected. This is what the church is now doing, loving and caring for the refugees in very practical ways. Many have characterized the ongoing crisis as the biggest disaster since World War II. However, 
churches across the region are seeing it as the greatest opportunity to advance the love and message of Christ and see His church grow like never before. Traditionally, churches in the Middle East have been focused on verbal proclamation of the gospel, but now are realizing their responsibility to preach the good news in both word and deed. This is a critical moment in church history, a moment that must be seized. While hundreds of thousands of people have fled, churches in the region are calling for help to maintain a vibrant witness in spite of the evil and extremism happening around them. This is a moment where the number of people questioning their traditional beliefs and turning to Christ is so great that many churches have stopped counting and have run out of space. It's a moment where the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. As numerous local pastors and leaders have said, this is not a time to run away from the Middle East, but a time to stay in the Middle East. This is where we need to be at this moment in time. God is in the midst of the storms of the sea of troubles, blood, tears, and war. God is here. You see, the big picture is that God is working in human suffering and things that we look at where we feel like everything's bad, there's nothing good can count on. Did you know that Muslims are turning to Christ at an alarming rate to the kingdom of darkness? Did you know that in the, in the, in the most trying times, the kingdom of God is expanding? That's what I love about the kingdom of God. It's, it's opposite of everything else. It defies the laws of nature. And where it should be dwindling and people running and fleeing, instead people are fleeing to the church and things are exploding. Can you imagine? You already said pastors have quit counting and have run out of space. Come on now. Isn't that great? That's why we're building. And that brings me to the fifth mentality that we have to have, and that is the door is still open. The door to heaven is still open. The door to the kingdom of God on this earth is still open. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 9. He said, we must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. Judgment is coming like a freight train out of control. It's headed straight for us, but the door is still open. The door to the ark was, was opened. All the animals came in. Noah and all his family came in. The door was still open. And then finally, God shut the door. And once it was shut, it was to not be opened again, no matter what the circumstances were. And the doors of the church are still open. And the doors of your heart and your faith are still opened. Keep it open, no matter what happens. Look, folks, there's a bigger picture than what we see. Our election for president is a big deal, but it is nothing compared to the awesome expanse of the kingdom of God. There's, it's not even comparable, and the value that we put on it, uh, on the kingdom of God, should far exceed the value of anything. On it. I believe it's like the Lord saying, get behind me, Satan. For you're looking at the things only from a human standpoint rather than from my vantage point. And my vantage point says the door is still open and it's going to stay open till I decide to shut it. 
So let me give you four things that you can do. Because there's, there's things we have to do. We have to be able to do this. The first thing that you can do, you say, what, then what can I do, pastor? The first thing you can do is you can pray. You need to pray. And you, you can pray. And, and uh, if you'll go to your app, if you'll go to the app, you'll find all these notes, all these scriptures. Yeah, I don't have time to, to read them all. But we need to pray that the Father would draw people to Jesus because he'll do that. We need to pray against the spirit that blinds the minds of people because that is happening. We need to pray that they come to know God relationally, not just religiously. We need to pray that believers will cross their path and enter into meaningful relationships with people who don't know God. We need to pray for revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. These are things that you can do. We need to pray, but we need to also love people. Look, love is, 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 is the most powerful force on the earth. Will you just purpose in your heart to love somebody who is not lovable? Will you purpose in your heart to love somebody who doesn't look lovable? Somebody different than you are? Somebody who doesn't speak like you speak? Go where you go? Live like you live? Will you just let the love of Jesus pour out on them? Because to love people doesn't condone what they do. That's, Jesus never did that. But he, his love somehow or another permeated, somehow or another it crossed over the shortcomings, even the sin, even the gross sin of people. And his church needs to be the same way. We need to also speak. Man, we need to talk. We need to speak. You know, the Bible says in Romans that if, 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 if people call upon the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. And then we're here and we're saying, well, well, how are they going to do that? Well, the Bible teaches us that, that we, the church, we have the words of eternal life. And so we speak that to people. We give them a better chance at what's going on. And when we do that, guess what? Jesus puts his seal of approval on it. You, you, what if I told you that you, every one of you in this room that know God, you have the words of eternal life right there in your mouth. You have words that you can speak to people that will change their eternity. But you see, if you've got a cruise ship mentality, you just cock back in the lounge chair watching the waves go by. And then we need to bring. Watch this. We need to bring people to Jesus. You know, still 81% of people still come to Christ and come to a local church because someone they know invited them. 81%. The percentage has not changed in 40 years. Come go with me. Hey, sister, come go with me. Hey, brother. Hey, uncle, Uncle Tom. Hey, hey, you know, Uncle Joe. Hey, hey, Aunt Sue. Hey, hey, come on. You know, come, come, come with me. Come with me to church. Just come look. Come see. Some of you have the ability. Come with me to Christ. Some of you have the ability to share the love of Jesus in such a powerful way that you can reap the harvest right where you are. Others of you are timid and you don't know, but if you'll just bring them, we'll communicate to them maybe what you can't because we're a team working together. We're not competitive with other churches because you know why? There's so many lost people that need Christ. It would fill up every church. You see what happened in the Middle East? They can't house the people coming to Christ anymore. No competition. Other than, can you go get some more boats so that we can rescue more people? Like fishing for tuna, you know, it's just, we pray, we love, we speak, we bring because we are representatives of the kingdom of God 
which is the only thing that is going to survive this earth when judgment comes. Come on, let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. I want you to get along with God for just a moment. Would you do that? And just say, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to pray? Because God will call some of you to pray. What, God, you want me to bring? You want me to speak? What, what Lord, you know, what, what is it that you want me to do? If you ask him, he'll answer you. He'll do that, and then you'll be able to say, hey, here's my place in the rescue ship. Here's where I am. And then God will just help you. Just right there where you are, if you'll just get along with God. You're already in the boat. Come on, come off, of the, come off of the deck with the easy chairs. Let's get in a rescue ship. And then for some of you who are in here right now, you say, Pastor Van, I'm just adrift in the sea. I don't even know what to do. My life is in a mess. I, I just, I just, I don't know God. I came to church this morning to try to find an answer to all the trouble in my life. You know, so many people have relational problems, health problems, financial problems. Some of you trying to find God. You want to live for God. The beginning is that you commit yourself to him fully. You just say, Lord, I surrender to you. He'll come and he'll change your life. It's a good life living for Jesus. And I want to help you find him right now. If you're in this room right now, and you say, Pastor Van, I just want to commit my life to him. I want to follow Christ. I really do. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to call you to the front of a room or anything like that. I'm just going to ask you, while every head is bowed, that you'll just lift your hand up and say, would you pray with me, Pastor? I want to receive Jesus. You're in this room right now. Thank you for your hand right there over here to my left. Thank you. Over here to my left. Thank you. Yes, over here to the right. Thank you. Come on, this is your chance. The door is opened. Anybody else say, today, I want to commit to Christ fully. Right over here. Thank you. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Another person to my left. Thank you. Just counting the cost to follow Christ. He wants all of you. You'll turn from your sin. Apostle Paul said, turn from your sin. Trust in God and follow Jesus Christ. This is what it takes to be a Christian. So right there, right where you are, as I pray, I want you to just agree with me. Agree that, that God is going to forgive you of your sins. Agree that you're going to follow him. Father in heaven, I thank you that you see every heart in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus to die for us. You forgave my sin, Lord God. I, I just confess that I need you right now. That's right. Just, just humble yourself before him. I commit my life to you, Lord Jesus. I don't know all what that means, but I'm here to say, Lord, I'm on your side, and I thank you for being on my side. Would you make me a new person? Would you really change my life, Lord? I release my faith now the best I know how. I believe in you. I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead. And I thank you for forgiving me and changing me today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. I want to thank the Lord for those who prayed.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.